Thank you, guys. Good morning once again. As mentioned earlier, we are in uh, the beginning of Holy Week, the last week of the Lenten season as we head up to Easter. And uh, for followers of Jesus, this is an important time. Uh, while it's true that we celebrate the resurrection all the, every day, every Sunday when we gather, we're, we're a resurrection people. But this uh, puts on the calendar one time a year, uh, a time, a moment, a, a remembrance where we can gather our attention, gather our intentions to, to, to remember and to regard and to celebrate what Christ has accomplished for us through His life, His death, and His resurrection. Uh, but today what I'd like to do is create for us a quiet place. A place of stillness. Because as we revisit the Messianic trilogy of Psalm 22, 23, and 24, we find ourselves in a quiet place today. A place that is so quiet, in fact, it could be called a tomb. As still as the grave is today's uh, place in which we find ourselves. So, if you remember last week, I started off by talking about songs, how uh, we sing songs. We sing songs to... Uh, in an effort to better explain our experiences, uh, to better express and, and discern and describe our place in the world. What I wanted to drive home last week, and I want to revisit this week, is the fact, or the observation anyway, <laughs> that human beings seem to be song-singing creatures. We just have songs in us. We have songs that are always running through our heads and, and, and coursing through our hearts. We sing. We sing in good times and in bad. We sing on mountaintops, we sing in the valleys, and sometimes we sing for no reason at all. Exhibit A, the bed intruder song. I was doing some research. Remember that song, Hide Your Kids, Hide Your Wife? That song? I sang that song probably 10,000 times because it was stuck in my head for no reason. Did that express something deep in my, my, my lived experience? No. Did it describe or explain my world? No. It was just this song. The bed intruder. I know I'm not alone, guys. You feel me? Yeah. There's a, a propensity, a tendency in us to grab onto songs and have them play even unconsciously in our head. Songs are part of the human experience. It is in our God-given nature to sing our deepest feelings, our deepest feelings of joy and of pain. How do I know? Well, I can start with me. I can look at my own life for sure, but it's also something that I notice in other people. I notice it in my friends. I notice it in these Bible people we read about. And most importantly, I read it, I see it in Jesus. Did you know Jesus himself in the most difficult moments of his life was singing songs? There was a playlist in his heart that was, he was giving expression to uh, during Holy Week. Somehow, Part of our image bearing, our bearing of the image of God, seems to involve the remembering and the singing of songs. And I, and I like this. I like this about us. I, I like it that we're not purely clinical creatures that just only are motivated by cause and effect, pure data-driven, information-based beings. We also sing. We also make. We also connect. We also uh, get carried away with emotion. I like it that we sing songs. When we feel things deeply, we sing. Maybe without music. Some of you are like, I don't sing. 
I spit truth. You know, I drop words. I don't sing, you know, clearly. But even if it's without music, we're singing. We're singing our truest songs, those songs that are ultimately hidden deepest in our hearts. Sometimes it's songs of love. Sometimes it's songs of anger. Other times we sing songs of joy, of grief, of longing, of triumph, of anguish, exhilaration, and sometimes defeat. We have songs for all those things, don't we? Songs we sing, the songs that we sing, the songs that you sing and I sing, they reveal a lot about what we believe. The songs give voice to our assumptions. The things we believe, we hold on to. What we believe about ourselves, what we believe about our situation, what we believe about our future, and ultimately what we believe about God. These things show up in our songs. The songs that, that, that we grab onto, that, that we sing, they tell about these. What we believe about ourselves, about our situation, about our future, and about God, they determine a lot about our attitude, but also they determine a lot about our ability. Our ability to persevere through difficult times, difficult times of rejection, of pain, of suffering, and loss. Have you been through hard times? Times of suffering and loss? What songs came to mind for you? What songs did you find yourself singing during those times? The songs that spoke truth to you, that reminded you of things that were not shaken by that difficulty or struggle. What songs did you sing? What did you find yourself singing when things got tough and things went bad? Were you the first to beat yourself down? I've seen this happen. Actually, I've lived this. When things get tough, sometimes I'm the first one to pile on the guilt and the shame. Sometimes my, the song that my self-talk sings can be pretty uh, jagged, can be pretty hurtful. Does anyone else do that? I mean, you always want to look in the mirror and like, whose, whose team are you on? Whose side are you on? I mean, do you even want me to survive this? You know, Man, my self-talk can be pretty dark. The songs I sing can be pretty emo. I mean, really. So when, when hard times come, when, when things go bad, are you, do you beat yourself up? Do you pile on the guilt and the shame? Or are you the first to pick yourself up, to grab yourself by the, the shirt collar, to, like in the movie, splash cold water on your face and look in the mirror and get serious with yourself? Are you the one who is going to motivate yourself to hang in there, to stay focused and to keep on keeping on? Have you had those times too? where no one else was going to get you through it unless you decided that you were just going to get up one more time. The vocabulary of our self-talk, the, the, the songs that we sing to ourselves during struggle and pain, they reveal a lot about where we place our trust. How we talk to ourselves, the songs that are hidden in our heart, they, they tell a lot about where we draw our strength and our hope. If we center our trust in ourselves and in our mental and emotional reserves, then our ability is limited to what we have and to what we can do. Man, if I am the measure of all things, if I am the end of all my options, that's fairly grim. Have you ever felt that way? It's like, oh man, I hope I'm getting some help here. Because I don't think I have what it takes to do what needs to be done. I know where I am and where I need to be, but I don't think I can get there. I'm so tired. I'm so weak. 
I'm so beat down. I don't know if I can do this without some help. If we place our trust in ourselves, we are the limiting factor. Only what we have is what we can tap into, and that is limited. However, if we center our trust in God and in His infinite reserves, His, His infinite reserves, our ability to hold fast in times of hardship is likewise unlimited. If we plant our feet in the gospel, making ourselves available to all that God wants to do in and through us through the Holy Spirit, we find that we've tapped into an infinite source, an infinite source of strength, of perspective, of healing, and of hope. Where we center our trust and where we place our hope determines much about how we emerge from hard times, how we emerge from dark valleys. And guys, hear me say this. Where we place our trust, where we place our hope, determines much about how we, how we emerge even from death. So yes, it speaks to how we emerge hard times and dark valleys, but ultimately, guys, it determines much about how we emerge from death. So as we approach Resurrection Sunday, as we approach Easter once again, as we prepare to commemorate and remember and enter into Jesus' death and resurrection, we've been noticing that He is singing songs even while He hangs upon the cross. Even at the crux of His life, which is where that word comes from, crux, crucifixion, the crux of His life, we find Him opening His mouth to sing songs. Last week we heard Him singing uh, the words from Psalm 22. While hanging on the cross, the words in that moment of terror and agony, the words of Psalm 22 came from his mouth to remind him, to communicate, to call out to God. Beginning with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And ending with, he has done it. When Jesus says, it is finished. It's bookended by this, this Psalm 22 Story, this Psalm 22 song, and this thing just strikes me at the heart. The word Jesus cries out when he said, It is finished. Does anyone know what this Greek word is? Tetelestai. He cries out. If you could place yourself at the, on Golgotha near the cross and hear Jesus' actual last word, it would have been Tetelestai. Which in, in Greco Roman culture, if you owed a debt and you had an invoice, and you paid that debt and took it to the one who held your credit, the one you owed the money to, to verify that that debt was paid, they stamped on your paper or on your document a word, tetelestai. It is completed. It is accomplished. This debt is paid in full. Jesus Christ from the cross, tetelestai. The debt is paid. Nothing more is owed. I have paid their debt. Tetelestai. Amazing. Jesus upon the cross stamps on our document of debt. It is finished. The debt is paid. You no longer owe the bill. Tetelestai. What I had long considered a cry of desperation from Jesus on the cross was really a song of hope. A song of hopefulness. The songs in Jesus' heart, they were in very heavy rotation all throughout His suffering. It's not just Psalm 22. Uh, look at uh, uh, Luke 23. Flip over to Luke 23 real quick. Uh, verses 44 and 46. 40, 44 through 46. Luke 23, 44 through 46. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. 
the light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Where did he come up with that? Well, look at Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5. O oh Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress for the honor of your name. Lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me, for I, have, I find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I entrust my spirit into your hand. Your Bible probably reads word for word with what Jesus cries out from the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Did you know he's singing a song? Even that part is lyrics from the psalmist hidden in Jesus' heart. Do you see what's happening here? Well, Jesus was Jewish. And all Jewish boys had a big part of the Old Testament memorized. The Torah, at least, but the Psalms were essentially hidden in every one of their hearts. Jesus had the entire Psalm book hidden in his heart as a ready reserve for him to draw into when he suffered the most. These were the words, the songs that came to his mind, came out of his mouth. Jesus is preparing to meet his death. And Psalm 31, in that moment, is guiding him through that hardest moment of his very life, of his ministry on earth. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, with you, I'm safe. I'm safe. Jesus is taking on the sins of all humanity. And he is, for the first time, feeling what it feels like to be separated from his Father and is experiencing the agony and the fear of knowing he's dying. Guys, it's kind of neck and neck between that death and public speaking, but death is one of the, is probably, I'd say, the most primal of human fears. And Jesus, fully God and fully man, hanging on the cross, knows what's coming. Both as God, but also as man, he knows, I am human and I am dying. I am suffering unto death. And that inevitably caused anxiety, inevitably caused fear. He knew he was dying, yet through it all, he never sings songs of defeat, never sings or shrieks in despair. He only opens his mouth to sing songs of hope and deliverance. He's not shaken in all the pain, in all the agony, in all the abandonment. So as I mentioned last week, Psalm 22, 23, 24, it's long been considered part of a messianic trilogy uh, by, the, by the early church. Starting in the early church, they started to see, aha, yes, Jesus. Jesus is here. This Messianic Trilogy finds its, its place, its name in Jesus. So it's long been, from the beginning, considered a Messianic liturgy. Historically, they were sung together, all in the same worship setting. Uh, in a real way, these psalms then mark time during Holy Week. They mark time. They're sung together. They mark Friday, Saturday, Sunday of Passion Week, the week leading up to Easter. Last week, 
We listen to Psalm 22 as Jesus, Jesus hung on the cross. This week, imagine this being sung as Jesus has crossed into death. He is no longer alive. He has crossed into death. He has committed his spirit into God's hands. As he crosses into the valley of death and enters into and awaits in the grave, let's imagine Jesus singing Psalm 23. And let's hear it as an intimate and hopeful song of waiting and of trust in his Father. Maybe this is a new way to listen to Psalm 23, but I think it'll be good. Uh, it'll be good for us to hear it uh, through Jesus' voice. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Context. Jesus has just been beaten bloody. He's been nailed as, as crude uh, spikes were driven through his flesh into a wooden beam and he hung exposed to the elements, suffocating in his own accumulating uh, blood and edema in his lungs, dying. Yet the most painful and terrible part of it all was to sense that God the Father had turned away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To tell us diet is finished, gives up his spirit, breathes his last. He's dead, and this is the song we find. Well, he seems no worse for wear, right? I mean, this is a pretty hopeful song. Something in Jesus was not shaken, considering all that he endured. Just the other side of death, the song he's singing is one of rest and of green pastures, of being restored. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Perhaps you like, you're like me and you've always read Psalm 23 in a different way. Maybe you've read Psalm 23 always as a pastoral hymn. A pastoral hymn about our trust in God. A resource for us to soothe our, our worried hearts, right? Is that wrong? No! No, excellent, perfect. Psalm 23 should be, it can be, and it should be for us, a source of great comfort. That's not a wrong reading of Psalm 23, but I think it's helpful for us to hear it in Jesus' voice as well. Ultimately, Psalm 23 is a picture of perfect dependence and final fulfillment demonstrated most perfectly, in Jesus Christ himself, in his relationship, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, satisfying the demands of justice and of holiness. There's something sacred and deep happening here. Psalm 23 was for Jesus and, and becomes for us a song sung to the Good Shepherd by the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
I think this is where we struggle. We, we, we struggle to see God as the good shepherd because we've always called Jesus a shepherd, right? But in this, it's God who is the good shepherd and Jesus who is the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sufferer in Psalm 22 has been crucified. But the, but the lamb of Psalm 23, though slain, finds still waters and rests in the green pastures with his soul being restored. We see this in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 23. God, the good shepherd, the one who provided in life, now proves faithful in death, his care stretching beyond the mere number of our days. Have you considered this? God's care for you. God's provision for you. His safekeeping for you stretches throughout eternity. It is for more than just the span of your days. Just like for Jesus, it is for us. God's care is eternal. God has guided Jesus the Lamb in the path of righteousness for the cause of redemption and for the sake of God's glory. The Good Shepherd prepares for the Lamb a victory table in the presence of His enemies, uh, provides hospitality in the midst of hostility. This is what God does. What the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. Jesus entering into the darkest of darkest and the deepest of deep to redeem it for God's glory. God takes what the enemy intended for evil and makes it something good. Though wounded for the salvation of many, the good shepherd now anoints the lamb for his healing and for his consecration as the king of the universe. Why was oil given? Why were, why were people anointed with oil? Basically for two reasons, right? Healing and consecration. Healing and consecration. You anoint my head with oil for healing. But also consecration is king of the universe. The cup of wrath that, was, that God poured out on Jesus has now become and is becoming an overflowing cup of mercy. It has become the wine of rejoicing. Jesus' hope is steadfast in his life and his death. He believes that God will care for him. God will love him. And God's faithfulness is limitless and unending. Nothing that he endured was more powerful than what God provides. Nothing could overshadow God and His character and His ability and His provision. And it's interesting, uh, interesting, throughout the suffering, Jesus never prayed for escape. He never prayed for escape or He never sang out in desperation or despair. He never said, Father, I give up. This stinks. You know, he never did that. He never wavered from his mission, his understanding of what God was doing through him. He sang instead of God's abiding presence, reminding himself of God's steadfastness and the invitation to dwell with him. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Now, here's one of my operational assumptions. I assume that we all desire to be more like Jesus. We all desire to be like Jesus. Christ-likeness, in fact, is the point. <laughs> Christ-likeness is the point of Christian pilgrimage. 
After all, uh, we, are, uh, we are striving to be like Jesus. He's held up as our example, as our model, be like Him. Uh, it's important to remember, too, that we are not following rules. We are not following a religion. We are following Jesus Christ. We are following the Son of God. Okay, this is a careful distinction we must uh, be aware of. What makes you right with God, what allows you to come back to Him is not the keeping of rules or following of religious frameworks. It is in following and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, surrendering to Him as His rule and reign uh, enlar is enlarged in your life. We're following Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But here's the thing. What if the pursuit of Christ's likeness means more than simply living like Jesus? Hear me clearly. What if becoming Christ-likeness, pursuit of Christ-likeness, means more than simply living like Jesus? What if it also means dying like Him too? What? What is this crazy talk, right? What if following Jesus means we live like Him, but we also die like Him? We die like Him as well. What if following Jesus is, more, is about more than us just living right, but also dying right? Dying well, becoming more like Him in our suffering and even in our death. Paul speaks of this as he expresses his desire to be like Christ. When Paul has an opportunity to write to the believers in Philippi, he says, hey, I want to be like Christ, and here's what that means. Look over at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians uh, 3, verses 7 through 14. I once thought these things were valuable, Paul writes, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Did you hear that? I want to suffer with him, sharing even in his death. Paul was clear that becoming Christ-like meant everything. In this life and in our death, follow Christ, become like Christ. To learn from Jesus means we too hide the Word in our hearts. We rehearse these songs of hope. We identify with and we cling to faith in God through our life, through our death, and yes, my friends, through our resurrection. These songs guide us as well through our life, our death, and our resurrection. Jesus set the example for us. Can you trust Him? Can you trust God, even in times of suffering, of grief, and of loss? Can you trust that God is still good, despite all outward appearances? Can you trust that God is still good, that He still cares for you, and that He will still lead you in paths of righteousness? 
that he will lead you to still waters, to green pastures? Can you believe that you'll find rest in God? That you'll find refreshing, times of refreshing in Him? Are you willing to follow? Are you willing to follow the Good Shepherd wherever He leads on these paths of righteousness for His name's sake? For God's glory, are you willing? Even in the midst of struggle, of darkness, and of lonely times, will you sing? Will you sing believing that God's hand can reach you? That God's hand can reach beyond evil? He can reach beyond all of us, beyond our lives, and even beyond our own understanding? Do you believe it? Will you sing, believing that He stands ready to anoint your head with healing and honor for both your salvation and your consecration? Just like the psalmist in Psalm 23, and just as Jesus saying that, God, you anoint my head with oil. You come and you heal me. And then you set me apart for your purposes. You send me into the world to reveal and represent something about you to all those people around me. Heal me. Consecrate me. Do you want God to anoint your head with oil? Will you sing, trusting that He will fill your cup with love and with goodness? And then will you dwell with Him, trusting Him in your life, your death, and your resurrection? My friends, this is God's hope for you. That you would dwell with Him both now and forever, in life and in death and throughout all eternity. I'd like to close with this one last passage from John. John 14, verses 1 through 7. Jesus speaking here. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will be always with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. But from now on, you do know Him, and you have seen Him. I go to prepare a place for you, and this place has many, many rooms. There's a reason Jesus is called the firstborn from among the dead. That Jesus is called the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's a reason for this. And I believe that Jesus is telling the truth. Do we believe that He's telling the truth? that He goes to prepare a place for us, that that place has room for you and me. He's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters who will likewise be raised from the dead, resurrected into new life, finding their place in new creation. Our risen Savior is leading the way for us to find healing, to find life, and to discover our forever home with God. Here is good news. Jesus has opened the way to reconciliation with God. Jesus has made it possible to be reconciled to God through His life, His death, and His resurrection. And it all ultimately boils down to one very personal question. An intensely personal question. And it is this, will you follow Him? Will you follow Jesus? Well, the opportunity is there. The way has been made, so why wait? Why wait? Don't delay. Repeat, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near to you. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of your world.
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you in so many ways for your goodness and the kindness you've shown us. But most importantly, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he uh, didn't come and stand apart, only speak from mountaintops, and, and, and not share in our hardship. God, the Lord tells us that he was familiar with suffering. He's familiar with the human condition, God, and, and sometimes I, I don't know what to do with that. You came so close in Jesus. Sometimes it feels a little uncomfortable to, to, to bridge that gap in my mind that Jesus knows. He experienced it as well. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows how we're made. God, may we all look to Jesus as our example, as the author and the perfecter of our faith, that he sets the example that we should follow in life, in death, and in our resurrection. God, may we hide the word in our hearts. May those songs, the songs that Jesus uh, relied upon to get him through the crux of his life, may it guide us through those difficult times, those deep valleys in our life as well. God, may we be like Christ on our good days. But God, even more so, may we be like Christ when everything is falling apart. When things are hard, when they're difficult, and there just seems to be no way out. God, may we be like Jesus. May we cling to our faith in Him. May we, like Jesus, believe that your safekeeping, your care for us, extends beyond the span of our days into eternity. That we are safe and secure in your hands. God, I pray that we would all determine deeply in our hearts today that we will follow Jesus. We will be like Jesus. We will trust in Him. We will place our faith in Him and believe that that reconciles us to you, God, our Maker. Lord, I pray that you would come and anoint our heads with oil. That you would bring healing into our lives and into our world. That you would bring consecration. God, set us apart. Call us to yourself. Put us to use for your glory. And we too are confident that we will live in the house of the Lord forever because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We always want to be careful to, to have time to pray together. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Nathan, if you'll just play some uh, piano music. We're going to take a minute or two uh, to just sit in prayer. This is a time for you to engage with God. Maybe this is the first time this week that you've had nothing else to do but pray. Just to be available. Turn your attention to God and say thank you for Jesus. If you need to read Psalm 23 and make that your prayer, do it. Uh, but also, uh, we want to be careful to make people available to pray with you as well. So during this time, uh, Christy and I will be up here. I think uh, uh, Dale and Sue are back there. If you would like someone to pray, they're going to stand back there too. But if you'd like someone just maybe to, you know how it feels sometimes? You don't have enough strength. Or maybe you're so beaten down, you just don't even know how to pray. Well, you're among faithful brothers and sisters that will pray with you. They will say those words that maybe you're just aching to say. So let's take a few moments. Enter in this time with God. If you want to pray with someone, we're available. Ultimately, though, make the most of this opportunity.